Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we have Dr. John White, Chief Medical Officer of WebMD and author of the new book, Take Control of Your Cancer Risk. Thank you for for coming. It is really a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. As I was reading the book, one word kept coming to mind, actionable. As I was reading it through, I felt the information was very actionable for a patient to go through and implement in their lives. Was this an intent as you were writing the book? Absolutely. Although I'm the chief medical officer of WebMD, I still see patients. And what I've learned over time is often they will say things like, tell me what to do, tell me what to eat, tell me what medications. You know, it's great to talk about theory and studies, and I've sprinkled that in there. But at the end of the day, nobody wants a medical student lecture (laughs) as a a patient. They're they're going to you because they trust that you're distilling down the information to those important points that they need to know. So I, I really wrote the book with the context of what could someone do even starting today that's gonna help reduce their cancer risk. That's why it was very important for me to include, you know, elements of a diet in there, elements of an exercise program in there. We have to give folks guidance. We want to be, you know, prescriptive in in terms of giving a prescription, but we don't want to be too proscriptive in a way that it's also, we don't want to say it can only be this way. So trying to give people actionable steps and giving them a, a bunch of them. Yeah, well said. I like how you distinguish prescriptive and proscriptive. Do behavior trends in how patients research healthcare online, either pre-pandemic or within the pandemic, influence how you shared resources in the book? Oh, absolutely. So at WebMD, we spend a lot of time understanding how people search. And obviously, being at home, Uh, during the COVID pandemic, people became even more interested in their own care, in their self-care. So it was critically important that I made sure we provide the best information to folks, the most credible, most scientific-based, most relevant, because at the end of the day, if you have better information, you're going to have better health. There's no doubt about it. And if you're going to sites where there's a lot of misinformation about health or, or whatever, then it becomes a, a real detriment to your, your progress. And, you know, I've seen patients over the years, even recently that, you know, delay cancer care because they want to take some supplements or shark cartilage, which has been disproven many times through well-designed studies. And it's, it's okay to try different things, but at the same time, you don't want to dismiss the, the data that we have about different regimens. And the, the goal is to be fully informed and then make your decision, but you got to have the facts to, up front. Certainly. And in certain parts of the book, you talk about uh, direct-to-consumer test and mm-hmm. about taking a family history. So mm-hmm. you really help to empower patients as you talk in your conclusion to take control of their cancer risk, literally. Is it that you're no longer anti-Dr. Google? You're in many ways trying to optimize Dr. Google for patients? I love the way you say that. I mean, people (laughs) are gonna go to Dr. Google. There's no doubt about it, they do. And and I joke, I'm I'm old. So in the old days, people (laughs) would 
print everything up and then bring it to the doctor. What would the doctor do? Kind of just put it to the side. Now they're engaged in a discussion with me. I saw a patient the other day who says to me, and I was impressed. He said, I think I have pericarditis, which is actually a more complicated term. And he did not, but, the, but it wasn't a bad differential diagnosis. And I thought, I like that. I like when patients are engaged and they don't know I'm at WebMD when, when I see people in clinic and often I will ask them, what have you searched online? What, what do you think it is? What, what are your concerns? And it, it engages people. There's plenty of people that do Dr. Google and then never come to the doctor yeah. and there's pluses and minuses of that. So that's what I wanted to make sure I addressed because a lot of these over-the-counter tests people misinterpret. They, it's only checking for a few variants, very mm -hmm. few variants in breast cancer and colon cancer. So it doesn't mean it's a get out of jail free card that you don't need to have screening. And all the information is there online, but sometimes it's, it's hard to navigate to. In the actual package, it's very fine print. None of us can read that after yeah. a certain age. Um, so the goal was to say, you know what? I want you to become empowered with information. And, and you can find that information on your own, but go to credible sites, talk about it if you can with a health professional and, and really do kind of your due diligence in, in getting the best information for you because you want to empower yourself with knowledge. Certainly. Uh, even though this wasn't really discussed so much in the book, I think uh, your anecdote is uh, really interesting and worth exploring. So the patient who came in stating they had pericarditis is, is a very specific, unique condition with mm -hmm. its own set of symptoms, mm -hmm. its own set of causative properties, Beck's triad. Uh, mm -hmm. For patients who Google, are they more informed but less educated? Or do you see that they're not properly able to direct how they're understanding things online? I think it varies um, in terms of people generally search signs and symptoms. That's a yeah. big area. People don't right. necessarily go directly to Crohn's disease mm -hmm. or ulcerative colitis unless maybe someone already told them that diagnosis, but they first put in the symptoms and then they might find something and then they start to dig more. And, you know, sometimes online it's, it is conditions that tend to be more serious right. because we don't want to miss those things either. So abdominal pain can be a lot of different things. Yeah. Most of the time it's, it's benign. It's not that serious, but it depends on individual circumstance. What I think is very interesting is, and we have this at WebMD as well, there are symptom checkers where you plug mm -hmm. in more information so we can try to tailor or personalize and curate the information for you based on some other factors. Yeah, certainly. I think that um, helping patients understand what to make sense of their symptoms is critical. And in the yeah. book, you talk about how to navigate sleep, stress, mm -hmm. mind-body connections. As you were focusing on these topics mm -hmm. that are now starting to become more accepted in mainstream healthcare, mm -hmm. as you alluded to, do you find that you're almost changing what you understand healthcare to be? Absolutely. And, and I am frank in the book where I say, you know, I never really thought about the mind-body yeah. connection. And, you know, I mentioned in the book when, you know, Dean Orish, who talked about stress in your heart and, um, you know, the importance of diet and all these other elements, you know, those were not taken seriously 20 years ago. We forget that. Yeah. Now we have a greater appreciation. 
I think we're starting to see that in the area of sleep where you know we all make it such a low priority. But the difference in terms of cancer and other areas, there's a whole body of literature that talks about why the lack of sleep can actually increase your risk of cancer. Certain cancers, particularly that are hormone-based, relating to cortisol and melatonin and other areas, there's a scientific basis for it. It's not just some mumbo jumbo that we're saying. And so I think we've made enormous progress since then. And even though we've known about the mind-body connection for thousands of years, we're only starting to acknowledge now how it has a role. And when we think about cancer, what we've learned in the last decade is in many ways, it's a disease of inflammation. And yeah. we didn't always think of it that way. And it, it's, it's really making errors in cell division. And stress plays a role in that at the cellular level. But when you think about it, even at you know, your own level, when you're stressed, you make mistakes in things, either you know, driving somewhere, if you're stressed and angry about something, you might make a, a wrong turn. If you're stressed over at work, you may not always perform as best as you can. Short-term stress is okay, but not the chronic daily stress that you might have with a toxic boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you hard to function. When you think about it, you're like, hmm, yeah, like I, I can see that. And you know, when you're not feeling well, what's the first thing that you do? You go to sleep. You say, yeah. I'm going to go to bed early. You instinctively know that sleep is gonna help you fight infection. And there's some data that talks about its impact on white blood cells. So that's the biggest difference. We realize there's a science behind it and apply those scientific principles to the pathophysiology of disease. Yeah, and I think that's something you do quite well in the sleep chapter to kind of build on that. On one section, you're talking about scheduling gratitude. And then you mm -hmm. go on to talk about the lymphatic system's association mm -hmm. with sleep hygiene. Were yeah. that a, was that a conscious effort to bring in the robust data with some of the more subjective Absolutely. behavioral changes? And I learned about these gratitude journals a couple of years ago. Yeah. When you think about it, writing something down every day, it really does change your mindset. Right. But the additional side to that is about PET scanning and looking at what areas of the brain light up over time. Again, there, there are data. And we've seen that in other areas about the ability to rewire your brain. And I think it takes some you know, work because at first people are like, really? Yeah. <laughs> in the book, like, come on, like, give me a prescription. Yeah, uh, exactly. But it, it's the same impact. Yeah. And you don't see the impact in two days, right? And mm -hmm. that's the other challenge. People are like, well, I did it for a couple of days and I didn't see an impact. Well, just like in medication, it, it takes time. But the problem is, you know, we, we make health a low priority, especially yeah. early on, because we're interested in starting a family, we're interested in succeeding in work, we're interested in building up wealth. And then finally, we turn to our health. And for many people, it, it, it comes too late. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the challenge to, to reprioritize. And then I talk about that in the book, change it from, I hope I don't get cancer, to how can I prevent cancer? And many of the strategies that you would incorporate to prevent cancer help prevent other health conditions as well. And I think COVID has really shined a light on self-care. At the end of the day, that's all you have. It's yeah. more important than work. You want to be around for your family. And if you don't focus on your own care, no one else is. Yeah, no, that's well said. 
I really like the contrarian perspectives you bring forward in the book, particularly with how the chapters are structured with the questions at the beginning yeah. and the answers <laughs> at the end. Was Were the questions more designed to help patients focus on what to read or to directly elicit this contrarian thinking? It's really to tease them a little. It's okay. funny, you know, I had a lot of people that, that uh, looked it over, including my family members. <laughs> so yeah. Sometimes they'd be like, some of these are too easy. Yeah. Uh, or, or, but what I liked when they said is, ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So that's part of it as a tease too, just stylistically mm-hmm. to get people to read. But it also helped me remind myself, what do I want to cover in this chapter? Yeah, that are some of the key issues that patients have said to me, you know, over 25 years of practice. Yeah, certainly. When you were going through the book and towards the exercise component in the latter Mm -hmm. chapters, you really start to talk about how you get started. Mm -hmm. Do you feel in your daily practice and and WebMD that that initial step, that initial implementation is often the most difficult? Absolutely. And I see it on a personal level. You and me both. (laughs) I've got all sorts of excuses not to get, I'm dressed up today. (laughs) I don't want to sweat. I said that to someone the other day. I was like, well, I don't want to sweat before an interview. (laughs) (laughs) The interview is like three hours later. Like I can't get out to you. But at the same time, what I also point out in there, and it's true for most people, Once you go for a run or you go exercise or you go for a walk, you never regret it. Mm -hmm. You never say, oh, I wish I didn't do that. You feel like, oh, I can accomplish anything. Like as my eight-year-old says, I'm king of the world. You know, you feel like you can accomplish anything. But that's also a biochemical response, the release of endorphins, these Mm -hmm. feel-good hormones. There's a science behind it that we've proven. Um, So that's the challenge. How do we just get there? and get people started? And, and how do we make it a priority and recognize people are balancing a lot of different things. So yeah. it's not always about going to the gym, but it's about physical activity. But what I also point out is, it's also about sweating a little and exertion when it comes to cancer prevention. Yeah. We can't say, oh, I'm, I'm active during the day. Most of the time we're not. And I've learned that I uh, finally got like a, a smart watch last year because I'm like I'm gaining a lot of weight you know, <laughs> all that. then I realized like on days I think I'm active and it'll say 3,000 steps I'll be like really really and, and I posted it once maybe this isn't working yeah. <laughs> properly uh, yeah, it's the watch's fault of course that's right it's, it's, I, I said to my wife I was like maybe because it's I'm, it's not supposed to be on your dominant hand something yeah. like that so I switched it and I wasn't happy with the results. <laughs> <laughs> Switch it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then That's I got awesome. then I got a ring, mm-hmm. one of these other rhythms. So I'm like, I have to be more active. Yeah. Uh, but but that kind of feedback is good for anyone because yeah. we always think we're more active. Patients always tell me they need healthy most of the time, but we know that that's not the case yeah. for most people. So what I wanted to encourage is to get some of that feedback as well. And to just be honest, no, no one's judging. I always yeah. say that to patients, I'm not judging you, but I have to know where you're at. So if you're not eating healthy, I need to know that, but don't pretend you're eating salads all day because we all know that's not happening. Don't say you're going to the gym five days a week if you're not. It's the same thing for blood pressure. If your blood pressure is high, if you're taking your medication, then I need to increase your blood pressure medicine. But if you're really not taking your medicine, just tell me that. 
Yeah. I don't want to then add up too much. So it's really trying, and, and too often, not enough my colleagues do this because it takes time. Yeah. But to have that conversation and understand what's really on people's minds uh, and understand where they really are in managing their own self-care. Certainly. I think there's one point in the book where you distinguish between asking your patients about exercise mm-hmm. versus asking your patients about being physically active yeah. and that yeah. wordplay coming and determining what the response is. Yeah. Because I've had a lot of patients, like yeah. I said, pre-pandemic, they'd be like, oh, I walk around the office and I'm like, really? Like yeah. that's not, that doesn't count. Yeah. Because you're not having any exertion. You want to get that heart rate pumping a little. You want to have that, you know, physiologic response that's going to help reduce your cancer risk. Certainly. And the appendix actually is appendix C is where you talk about the specific exercise regimens mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. delve into a certain level of specificity. Uh, yeah. Why did you choose that particular subject matter exercise to be so specific in the appendix? Because what I've learned over time, you know, back to what we talked about early on is people often say, what do I do? Tell yeah. me what to do. And I do say in there, you don't have to do this exactly, but I wanted to give people options and choices and to see what it could be, right? So Mm -hmm. some people might want to do the same thing, you know, three days a week or a month and that's okay. And and there's science to that. And other people might want to, you know, bounce it up. But it goes to your point. A lot of times people don't know where to start and they're just overwhelmed and they're not going to design their own exercise program. Mm -hmm. And everyone can't, you know, go to a personal trainer or go to a gym. But you know what, you can follow this. And, And I put it really at a beginner level. And I work with a bunch of different trainers. And to be honest, I said to a bunch when I was working on it with them, like, I don't want any complicated terms. <laughs> like it's a regular person yeah. that, you know, I don't, and I didn't know what some of the terms were too. Certainly. So I wanted it to be very practical. Nice. And you know, your, your fingerprint, your personality is, is really shining through in this book. And you put a lot of personal uh, nuggets mm-hmm. in there as well. So on one page, you talk about ginseng tea, how you absolutely love it. Yeah. Were these I hide com- it in there. I, I threw it in there just a, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I do. Yeah. How much of that was a conscious effort to bring out your personality in the book? You, you know, one of the biggest compliments is one that you just gave me. So, you know, there's no ghostwriter. Uh, it's, it's my voice. And that was an important aspect too, because people will say to me, it sounds like you, especially people, <laughs> like it sounds like you. Um, I want to, I like to add a couple personal elements so they know that, mm-hmm. it, that it's me, that I struggle, you know, with the same thing. I, I talk about in the book about soda that I used to drink soda all the right. time and it, it was a struggle, but then I moved to, you know, sparkling water and that, that worked for me. Um, but at the end of the day, I, we're all very similar in terms of trying to make healthy lifestyle changes it can be challenging. So I, I like to throw in a little bit, you know, here and there, of, you know, kind of how I'm uh, dealing with some issues. Oh, certainly. I think that it really shined through and added to the book quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dr. White, before we let you go, yeah. uh, one final question. If there's one thing you would like your readers to take away or to really absorb in their daily lives in reading this book, uh, can you please share what that would be? Yeah. You know, the, one of the biggest issues is around this idea that I've seen from patients is that cancer is primarily genetic or it's bad luck right? And everyone knows someone who's done everything right, who's thin, exercises every day, it's healthy, and still got cancer. 
So the attitude is, well, there's nothing that I can do about it. And what I really want to empower people with is the knowledge that most cancer is not genetic and, and nothing is 100% preventable. And there's still going to be some people that are going to do everything right. And still because of genetics or other aspects are going to get cancer, but not the majority of people. Right. And there are things that you can do back by science that are going to reduce your risk. And it's never too late to start to make those changes. But I really wanted to empower people with practical knowledge, the issue of, you know, substituting fish for meat, you know, the issue of drinking, you know, water versus sugary beverages, the importance of physical activity, not just because, oh, you need to exercise, but why do you need to do these things? The importance of screening, the importance of online risk calculators. I never really knew that much about it until recent years. Enough doctors don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, but it's really about there are things that you can do to reduce your cancer risk. And most people aren't aware of it. Okay. And, and, you know, I want to empower the folks with that knowledge that they can do things to reduce the risk. No, thank you, uh, Dr. White. Certainly, Take Control of Your Cancer Risk uh, is a book that most people should read and all people of a certain age, once they get into that risk factor profile, they take the time to read the book and impart the messages into their daily lives. So I want to thank you for writing the book and encourage all of our listeners to purchase it and incorporate the messages into their daily lives. Well, thank you for taking the time today to, to give me the opportunity to talk yeah. about it. Likewise. Take care, sir. Okay. Bye-bye.